Welcome to the At Sea Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McRoberts. John Steingard spent 16 years as a musician, songwriter, and a frontman in a band whose success had its context in what some would call the Christian market. Now, I've spent a bit of time there myself, and there's a whole conversation here about whether or not a marketplace can be Christian. I think it can't. But that's what's significant and odd about that conversation, is that what seems to bind the marketplace together, as well as its buyers and those who make products for that marketplace, is an agreement of sorts on a very particular set of theological and social conclusions. So when John began to question, doubt, and distance himself from many of those theological and social conclusions, it meant having to intentionally begin the work of reinvention. If you're a consumer of religious culture, and specifically the religious culture that John took part in, you might know that such a reinvention often comes with what can be a volatile mixture of frustration, disillusionment, respect, clarity, and, well, it can be a lot. So it's not that John had undergone or is undergoing a deconstruction that struck me. It's how he did it. He did it publicly and peaceably. He did it humbly. And he did it with a posture much like that I've seen in the best leaders and well, best pastors I know of. He hosts his own podcast and a show entitled The Wonder and Mystery of Being. He's a thoughtful conversationalist, a really skilled songwriter, and has quickly become a valued friend of mine. This is my conversation with John Steingart. Check it out. You're you're recording in your newish space. You have a new yeah, thing going so, on. Tell me about this. Thing. Yeah, so... I'm in, uh, I bought a 1969 Airstream trailer. Of course you did. And, uh, and I, we have some land out front of our, our house and, um, and we've been trying to figure out what to do with it for years. And so finally we had it graded and we've got the trailer here and we're, I'm going to build a deck in a couple of weeks, like out in front of it and we'll have, yeah. you know, like lots of landscaping around it and super green and um just like a, a cool sort of space to this is my office now so instead of renting an office i sort of i i sort of did this and you built by office. not renting an office it'll pay for itself in like a couple of years and yeah. so and it's cool and it's fun and you know so <laughs> yeah i'm i'm stoked on it should be and you're and you are geographically uh where specific you're in san diego ish just north of San Diego. Yeah. So we're technically we're in San Diego County. We're in a town called Vista. Yeah. Okay. So it's just, just east of like Carlsbad or Oceanside, yep. if you've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vista, it's funny, like it, when we bought a house here, it was not a cool place to live necessarily. And it was then, like real And practical. then you got there and well, then the Airstream happened. I just got and... lucky. <laughs> okay. I just got lucky. Like, um, uh, there's this little downtown that was sort of just semi-abandoned for years and nothing was going on down there and then right around when we bought here uh the city council all of a sudden decided to uh to just well i I guess they had been working on it for some time but sort of revitalize it and so all these restaurants went in and breweries and um and Mm -hmm. and like the downtown's actually kind of awesome now so um, and didn't you see that from coming. there, from there, like, ish? No, my like, wife where are you is, from? My wife is, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm from, uh, Vancouver originally. And then, uh, Toronto, the area, oh. uh, kind of more, more recently. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel home where you are now or just do you, yeah. like, do you cross the border and feel like, Oh, thank God I'm back. Like, well, I haven't been, I mean, I haven't lived in Canada for, I mean, I lived in the U S for 17 years now. So, so it's, 
it's definitely home as far as my pretty much my entire adult life, you know, yeah. has been here. Um, and, and definitely San Diego. I mean, I lived in Nashville for 10 years and I had so many friends and you, you probably have had this experience too, where people have said, you know, Oh, when I moved to Nashville, it just felt like home. I'm like, this is where, this is my place. This is, these are my people. This is where I'm supposed to be. And, and I loved Nashville, but I just never felt that way about Nashville. And when I moved to San Diego, well, we lived in LA for a minute and just Southern California in general, I, I was like, Oh, this is, this is for me. You have like a resonance <laughs> with it. Home. Like it's, you sort of, were, were there identifiable? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So when you're, so in your Nashville and mm-hmm. there's so much about Nashville, it's part of what I think happens for, for Nashville or for some people, LA, but like you move to the industry town or whatever it is. Yeah. And there's so mm-hmm. much functionally mm-hmm. about it. It's like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. And so it feels like home. Were there distinguishables for you? Like you're in Nashville and like something was missing was, was something present that was like, eh, I don't really, I, like I can't was, sit here. It, it was, it was, it wasn't anything real specific. I just never had, I mean, maybe I'm going by feeling more than sort of intellect, but like my gut never said, this is it, yeah. you know, it, and, 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 you know, early on in my time in Nashville, my wife and I got married, she was from Southern California and, uh, and we always knew that when we had kids, we wanted to live near family. Yeah. And so the choices in our minds were always just, you know, Ontario, Canada, or Southern California. Hmm. And even just strictly on weather, that's not a hard choice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, we sort of always, I guess maybe in the back of our minds, we always knew we'd end up back in California. So hmm. m- maybe on some level, I just never got too settled in Nashville. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, but like you kind of didn't let yourself. Also, it was like, I, I can be here and I can like it. But I feel like yeah, I belong maybe. somewhere else. Yeah, that could be. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely like I was super entrenched in the Christian music world. So um, that was my community. Those were my friends. And yeah. um, I, I definitely had every reason to consider it home, you yeah. know, technically. Yeah. Um, but m- my approach to life in general is that I just I feel like everything is always temporary. Hmm. And so, um, so I just, I always assume that where, wherever I'm at right now and whatever I'm doing right now, that there will be more to that story. Like, yeah. I just always assume that, um, it's like be where you're at, grab hold of the stuff in front of you, but hold it loosely and make yeah, plans, but yeah. don't get and, shocked. And, yeah. And my family moved around a lot when I was a kid. I never lived in one house more than three years. Is so that like an Amway thing? I, what happened? What was going on? There? <laughs> no, my dad's just a pastor. Okay. Um, same, same. <laughs> and, uh, rough, yeah, rough, yeah, rough yeah basically same. Amway. <laughs> basically, same, same. Uh, no, but, uh, but you know, we, we moved around a lot and, um, and I just got used to being in new environments all the time. And, yeah. and, so the assumption sort of was built in that like whatever, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, like that's for now, but it's not forever. You know? Yeah, that's good. And that feels good for you. That feels like, like you don't feel yeah, that, unsettled in the constant no. change and in the, Hey, this may move. You feel more no, at home. And I, I lived. Yeah. And I mean, the first few years of Hawk too, like, um, we, we played 250, 260 shows a year. And so we just never unpacked. Like I lived out of a suitcase for, I mean, I probably actually, even once my wife and I got married and we bought a house and stuff like that, I still like putting my clothes in a dresser instead of, 
it's just, I didn't actually do that for probably 15 years. Yeah. Same, same. Like it was like the suitcase was the dresser. Yeah. I was and trying to break that down for something the other day about, about like airports and hotels and rental cars. And cause they were like, you know how that's home. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, well, yeah. you know, you sleep and comfort. I'm like, I, I don't know if I can explain this to you, but like I would joke around about like Southwest Airlines. It's like a, it's like a family in the sky. And, but legit, yeah. I would like get on, get on like, you know, one of the old DC nines when, right when I started travel DC 10, I was like, <sighs> like the oh, engine yeah. to fire up, Especially, the plane to tilt back. Like this is the best yeah. sleep I'm going to get all freaking year. I love this. It was oh, just yeah. so comfortable, so happy. So yeah, at home. That, that moment when, like it's like my body has reactions to being on a plane. It knows exactly what to do. Uh, <laughs> so so I so sit right. down. I sit down and I'm asleep before the plane's even done boarding. As long as I'm in the window seat and I know that I'm not going to have to get up. Do you have a side? So, so I, right I, or I left usually, side? Do you, do you need to lean right or lean I, left on the plane? I don't have a side. I just prefer a window because I don't. Yeah. I don't want to have to like get up for any reason if I don't want to. Yeah. Um, Settle all the way. And so. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I just either side window and I sit down and the minute I sit down, my eyes start to feel heavy. Like we haven't even, they haven't even closed the door yet. And, and I I just close my eyes and, um, I will tell you flying on a plane now with a mask is kind of great because before I, I would be conscious of the fact that my mouth is probably going to at least partially open. It's going to be really embarrassing. I'm wearing a mask and I'm like, well, this is brilliant. It's fantastic. (laughs) I was when, you know, it was after the first several years traveling, then I would like travel with family or friends and we get get on the, on the plane and they're like, they're excited. Like we're going to get a drink on the plane and have a conversation. I'm like, I'm going to have a nap. And they're yeah, like, yeah. where are no, you going? Just, I'm like, you I'm don't done understand. for this. This is my time. Yeah. This is, this is me. This is my time. And I actually was like, I was, I, I, I've been a little bit bummed at how, uh, how activity has gotten so much better on planes hmm. because, because now like I, I fly Delta. Um, and you know, I know anyone that travels a lot tends to have like a, Uh, one airline they pick or whatever and so for me that's been delta for a long time and delta started doing you still have to pay for wi-fi but uh but messaging apps are free yep Uh, and so you can stay connected the whole flight yep if that's if that's available you're gonna do it Uh, or, or, or like, you know, I do most of we're, the we're time. We're throwing self control. We're throwing self control entirely out the window. It's available to me. Well, therefore, I mean, like, this is this is how it goes in my mind. In my mind, I'm like, well, if if my wife needed to get a hold of me for some reason, mm-hmm. it'd be better for that to be an option than yes. not. Yes, and that's it didn't true. used to be an option. So I'm like, okay, like I'll I'll connect and like that way if someone needs to text me, they can text me. But the problem is that before. It used to like, you know, if you're on a cross country flight, it's like three, four, five hours of inaccessibility. And it was like really a gift. Yes. And, and now, now it's like they can come get you. Now, if you don't now, if you're unavailable, people can be like, well, why didn't you log on to the free messaging or whatever? <laughs> In other words, you still have to have things called boundaries. 
you know, maybe it's maybe it's good that that I'm reminded that you know I am in control of my own accessibility and I should create boundaries yes. uh, actively. But it, it always is nice when they're built in uh, in some way. And and, and yeah, which actually less, we're gonna come back to you in, in a little bit and talk about like accessibility and boundaries. Uh, well, access, not accessibility, uh, but like access and boundaries and storytelling and yes, family and what have you. A better way to say it. Yep. Um, because you've yeah. you've been for you know two decades in a position in which access to you is actually the um that's the what's the word i'm looking for like th- that's the currency like it's not been like so it's the product yeah it's the thing it's the thing that actually in makes a, a career in the arts go it's not the record the record is fine it's not the song the song is fine but yep. both those things are gateways to connection with the artist mm-hmm. and that's the thing in general so you've been for two decades in a place in which access to you has been key in learning to navigate that you're not traveling as much now so you're not out and about but you are spending more time online can you talk a little bit about and without going through the whole kit and caboodle i have kind of two kind of parallel questions here one is um we you know we you know missing the road to some degree like missing travel like you miss travel and everyone to some degree does because of the covid thing and all that but um, you've shifted positions in terms of like the kind of access you're granting people and the reasons you're granting access to people. Um, does it feel different now? Like you're online a lot. You're having a lot of online conversations. You're doing this podcast, you're doing lots of different podcasts. It's more this kind of conversation. It's more sort of talking through. It's less like art centered in the sense of like you have a yeah. product kind of thing. Does it feel does this season, and we're going to work backwards from here, does this season feel like an extension sure. of life? Or is it, was, does it feel like there was a break and you're reinventing from scratch? Like, tell me about what it feels yeah, like to be you right now. I I definitely think it feels more like an extension. Okay. Um, I, I, I do remember, like, I was, you know, in this band for 16, 17 years. And yeah. I remember at, at various times us telling jokes about how, you know, we'd play shows and like people would be like, oh, that's cool. You're playing a show. Um, but really what they would want is to come through the signing line after and like have a conversation or yes. something like that. Yeah. And so we, we started to we started to joke around like like, you know, we could actually save a lot of money on production <laughs> if we just did a tour where we didn't even play. And we just and we just like, hey, come buy a ticket and come through a, a, a signing line and take pictures and let let's let's talk and we'll sign something and 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 get a picture with you because it seems like it seems like for a lot of people that was like the thing they really wanted and i'm like well why are we even bothering with this concert (laughs) like well yeah let's just let's just spend time together yeah so so you're you're you've got a really good point about access and um I do think that for a lot of uh, musicians, uh, especially musicians that are on the way up, it's like it's like um, if you're Justin Bieber, uh, then then access has a totally different. Uh, I mean, yes. h- how you deal with access has a totally different uh, connotation. But yeah, um, but if you're you know like for us, like we'd have you know over the years anywhere from you know a few hundred to a couple thousand people at our shows, and so uh, it's a little bit more manageable to to say meet you know. 200 people in a night then. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, now having conversations primarily with people online, uh, 
and and what I'm sort of diving into is a lot more sort of theology and philosophy and, and ideas about what's what's true about our faith and and what why how do we know what's true and mm-hmm. um and and sort of looking at the history of some of these things yeah um it, the tone of, of the conversation has changed because yes. it's it's just a little bit more of a um it's it's less of a surface level sort of like let's let's say these things that we all agree on and mm-hmm. and and say them plainly in a way that we can reach as many people as possible and and now i'm finding i'm having conversations that are much more pointed where it's yes. like okay these aren't for everyone these conversations and that's yeah. okay um but yeah. but for the people that really need these conversations um there's not as much of there's not as many of them out there it's harder to to find spaces where we can have conversations where someone can say, you know, for instance, like I was raised as a Christian, but I'm really struggling to believe that it, it's true or I'm yeah. struggling, you know, for various, all kinds of different reasons. And and that's yeah. a conversation that's harder to have. Yeah. It strikes me to some degree that part of the difference between like your previous season and what you were doing with Hawk Nelson and with music versus what you're doing now, it's kind of, there's a little bit of a control shift that with, with music, specifically with pop, right? The you yeah. put a thing on the table, and you kind of have to let go of it because someone will come. Someone will come to you with like this song hits me here. It means this, 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 and this for me. And then they'll like sometimes if it's a religious setting, which in your case it oftentimes was, they would like tag it with some other shit. Like, and God said this to me in the direction of, and you're like, and you just have to receive right. that. Like, yes, you get to, you put something in the table, and they get to use it how they want to read it, how they want to say what they want to about it. And your job at that point is, be, is to never be like, well, you're wrong about that song. And it's right. more like, yeah, like, wow, I'm glad that meets you. Whereas now you're more in a place of control of saying, no, this is the conversation that I'm wanting to have. Here are my boundaries for this conversation. Here are the parameters for this conversation. And this is where we're going to head with it. There's a little bit more of like a, you don't get to do with what's in my head what you want anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the goal is different. Um, so for for 17 years in the band, I, I remember there being things. I remember feeling like the right thing to do was to let people believe what they wanted to believe about me. Hmm. Uh m- most of the time. So an example is I have always thought my entire adult life, I've always thought that it's perfectly moral to have a beer. I don't see any moral problem with it. Even as a a Bible believing Christian, I I read the gospel of John and I go, Oh, Jesus turned water into wine. So clearly alcohol is not like inherently bad. Um, so I, I've always held that view. Um, but in, in the evangelical church in America, especially when we were getting started that that was not a widely held view right. it was at I, I least mean, question we definitely yeah it was like it's like maybe it wasn't immoral but like why would a good christian even want to drink is sort of the, <laughs> yes. the approach and this shouldn't be a and question. so plenty of people right right so so plenty of people just assumed yes that like oh i think drinking is bad and so sh- certainly hawk nelson and you know john thinks that drinking is bad and i would do nothing to dissuade them from that yeah. because i would never i would never say it i would never lie about it but i would i would i would allow them to have an impression that was not correct mm, good and good. and that always bothered me it always bothered me and and you know 
when we'd have conversations about it internally, sometimes people, whether it was management or whatever, would say, look, like, why do you want to have that fight? Right. Like, what's the point? Um, the goal is to reach as many people as possible with music. And so if you start talking about things that are divisive, you're going to turn some people off. So yeah. so why even do that? And if the goal is to reach as many people as possible with your music and built into that goal is sort of a, a financial incentive, right? Like okay, how, yeah. we want to sell as many records as possible. Yeah. We want to be there's as some, successful there's as some we wisdom can. in that advice. Then it's like, okay, well, like, yeah, I mean, there's no reason to piss people off unnecessarily. But for me, just internally, I was always like, ah, that's something about that hmm. bugs me because it just – it feels deceptive – um, and, and so that's something I don't do at all anymore. Like, like I, I, I very much pay attention to, okay, if I feel something, mm -hmm. uh, if I'm pretty certain, like if I'm unsure, then I'll decline to comment on something. But if I have a really strong point of view on something, uh, I'm fine talking about it publicly. Yeah. And, 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 and I take notice of any time where I hesitate to say what I think. I'm like, oh, why am I hesitating? Am yeah. I am I pandering? Am I am I hesitant? You know, is it because I'm uncertain, or is it because I'm worried about the consequences of being honest? Right. And that's if it's really the good. second one, then then it should give me pause. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Side note: when you're talking about a tour that that was just that the just signing autographs at a table, it like it, I was like, it, it hit me. I was like, that would actually be brilliant in so many ways. It was like it's straight like Andy Kaufman level, like. We're going on tour, but there is no music. And then just see how that goes. Let's just find out. We're going to go post up at a table and sign autographs. And what hits me is, is actually funny about that is that it would, it would actually work. For some people, you could, they could actually sell tickets to that and it would go just yeah. fine, which says something well, and, really and odd. I'm convinced, I'm convinced there was a period of time in our career where, um, where it absolutely would have worked because <laughs> so amazing because well, I mean, I, so I think early on in our career, I think at the very beginning of our career and at the very end, our music was actually meaningful to the people that listened to it, mm -hmm. um, like the music itself. But there was a period in the middle where we didn't know who we were. Yeah. And uh, the pop punk thing had faded, but we hadn't sort of gone all in on pop music yet. And we, we stylistically and, and content wise, we were just sort of we're floundering. I, at least this is just my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, and, and during that time, whenever we played shows, I always got the sense that, um, it wasn't so much that the people that were meeting us at our shows wanted to hear our music or, or really valued our music. It was that they valued that we existed. So yes. it was like, it, you were it was parents. Yeah. It was parents that were like, well, I'm glad that there's a band out there that sounds like blink 182 but isn't blink 182 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like i'm glad i'm glad i as a parent have the ability to give my kids a hawk nelson cd mm -hmm. so that they won't hopefully listen to blink 182 or good charlotte or something like that yeah and well they and probably so shouldn't we listen started... to charlotte anyways but that's a whole other right, sure. <laughs> right but yes. but i remember noticing i'm like I'm starting to feel like people aren't really fans of the music we're making right now. They're just, they're glad that we exist. Yeah, that's good. And so in that sense, it's like, um, yeah, it would absolutely work to not play music because I don't <laughs> think that's what they're after anyways. 
So let's go back to that season to some degree because yeah. like we, when part of why I was asking you about, you know, is this, do you feel like this is like an extension or a continuation? Sure. This isn't the first time you've, uh, I don't even want to call it reinvented. It's like, it's, there's a, there's a shift. Like this season, um, you know, here we are in almost, well, no, the you know, beginning of November, 2020. And, you know, since March, you and I and freaking everyone and their mother has had to some to some degree reinvent and the conversation for a lot of folks is really trying because i think they don't you know a lot of a lot of people a lot of people are still in the position was you you get the job you hold it as hard as you can and you write it until you can get to retirement and then you're done but for a lot of us that's not the case it's like no every like you know two or three years Maybe sometimes every year, depending on what's going on seasonally, like I've had to reinvent. Like I, this, the seasons have changed, the winds have changed, stuff kind of moved around, yeah. and like even with just the one band, there were several transitions, several kind of like turns, left turns, mostly left turns, and yeah. like this is what we're doing, this is what oops, this is what we're doing, and having to like you know try to communicate. Can you talk a little bit about? Um, like initially, like you weren't the front man of the band, you came in, and the band had to change. Right, and then over the course of time, there were kind of the two other transitions, and the one was like kind of more towards trend. But then there was a, I think I'm getting this right, like there was more more towards trend. Like pop punk is is really working. We don't want to do so much the aggressive aggressive stuff. And then there was this like, no, let's just do pop because it's actually our strength thing. Can you talk sure. about like that decision making internally, the external pressures, those conversations? Like, what's it look like to actually invent when money's on the table? and reputations yeah. in play. How's that go? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the first thing I'll say is that when you say money's on the table, sometimes people get the idea that it's like like fortune-making is on the table. And and anyone who's done music on, <laughs> you know, on the levels that you and I have done it, you know, they they we know that that's not what we're talking no, about. We're rent, talking rent about is on the, the table, ab- I hope. It's what yes, I mean. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're, we're talking about the ability to literally feed your family. So yes. th- I always tr- want to start there. Yes. Um but yeah, so at the beginning I, I wasn't a part of the band uh when it was first formed in like 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. And the first record came out in 2004. It was an album called Letters to the President. And I wasn't a part of making that album, but right as it was coming out, the guitar player ended up leaving and I came in to replace him. So I joined as the guitar player right as the first record was coming out. So not exactly the beginning, but functionally pretty close. Mm-hmm. Um and I was the guitar player until uh, until 2012. And during that season, we went from, you know, very straight up pop punk uh, to, you know, seeing that style of music sort of wane and trying to figure out what does it look like for a band like us to mature? And, and internally within the band, we didn't all have the same answer to that question. Hmm. Um I'm not even sure we all agreed on the question, um, but <laughs> does but, that cause? Uh, and in that but, moment, I mean, this is a kind of important pivot here. It's like there is is there is there mostly tension? Is there conflict? Is it like, hey, we'll work this out? Like, how's that? Like, yeah, I mean, w- on a personal level, we always loved each other. Like, we we didn't have. Uh, like some bands legitimately, like whether you, you know, whether people know it or not, like some bands that the members in the band legitimately hate each other, yes. like actually yeah. can't stand each other. Don't talk to each other unless they're on stage and yeah. 
like that's a real thing and yep. it's very they're on, a, they're, on a, they're like on a work um, project together and that's the size of the yep. thing yeah we have we were never that like off stage we always got along great mm -hmm. um it was always just it's almost reversed in a way where it's like on a personal level we were always good yeah. but um when it came to guy you know making guiding decisions on the band there was there was there was an increasing amount of conflict as time went on and yeah. eventually that led to um our singer jason leaving um and it also it, it it coincided with the the fulfillment of our first record deal where that deal was done and complete so we were now free of any record contracts and mm -hmm. so we could kind of go like hey what do we want and yeah. uh, for jason that was you know hey i want to try and do this thing on my own yeah. um and so so he left and we were like well i guess that's that <laughs> and and there wasn't uh, like a burning then, in your heart where you're like i'm supposed to be the front man of this band and i'm waiting for my no, shot no not from not for me at all. No, mm. um, because I had a very narrow view of what Hawk Nelson was and could be. Interesting. Um, and it actually it took outside input from for that to be challenged. For Did me. you so seek that outside we were, input? Or did people come in from no. the outside and say, hey, this is what we think? No. So we were on tour with Mercy Me, um, uh, you know, a band you and I are both familiar with. And um, Bart, uh, the singer, he pulled me into his dressing room one day. And somehow he had gotten a hold of this like album that I had put out on my own independently, like uh -oh. under the radar years before. And I, I wasn't doing anything with it. I wasn't pursuing a solo career. I had just wanted an outlet. And so I made some music and I put it out. And he was listening to it in his dressing room. And he's like, can you explain to me why you're not going to be the new singer of Hawk Nelson? Well, that's strong. And I was like, and I was like, yeah, because I'm not that guy. Like... I can't, I can't front a pop punk band. That's so not me. That's not my personality. That's not my voice. You know, um, Jason, for all, for any of the things that, that I disagreed with him on, like he, he embodied the pop punk persona yes. really well. Yeah, he was a hell of a front. Um, yeah. And I, I just knew I couldn't do that. And so, and so that was my response to Bart and Bart said, uh, well, why don't you give yourself, um, permission to interpret the band in a whole new way that's really good. and i came out of that conversation and i'm like well that's interesting so i went back and i i talked to daniel and justin who are the other two members of, of the band at, at the time you know once jason was out of the picture and i knew i'm like okay i'm gonna tell them what bart told me and i'm gonna know on their face i'm gonna be able to tell their instant reaction to whether they, they believe this is possible or not, regardless of whether they like want to be nice to me or anything like that. I'll be able to read it on their face, what they really think. That's fantastic. And, and so, and so I said to them like, Hey, this is Bart's idea. He, he thinks that we should reinvent the band, uh, and, and allow ourselves to pursue a whole new sound. And he thinks that I should be the singer, uh, in that. Uh, and, and they both went, huh. <laughs> That's so good. Huh. Like and they that. were they were they both sort of like okay yeah. and i was like okay we got a chance at this and so so we did that and we 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 you know i went headlong into songwriting and that kicked off about a six-year period of me writing you know probably th i don't know f f three or four hundred songs yeah um and uh and and you know on that album i think we wrote probably 80 Hmm. and uh and and tried to get our feet under us as a band you know like yeah. what do we sound like now what, what you know what are our core principles and what's our what are our goals what's our mission statement you know and 
what are our influences that we can agree on. Yes. Um, and so for me, that was a, about a two year process of learning how to be a front man. And yeah. I approached it like study, like I watched yes. other bands. Yeah. I was like, okay, so he's connecting with the audience because he's doing this. That's very good. That's something that I can, I can implement. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, a learning process for me of, of, of going like, okay, how, how can I learn this new skill? And uh, over the following years on a songwriting level and a frontman level, I, I just felt myself growing into being comfortable with that role. Yeah. And it wasn't until a couple years later when we released this album called Diamonds, um, where that seemed to come to fruition. And we had multiple songs that were really succeeding at Christian radio in ways we'd never, we'd never experienced before. And, um, we were seeing this sort of revolution in the band and, yeah. and you're, you're right. It was very stylistically a lot oriented because that felt a lot more appropriate for my my voice and, and yeah. stuff like that see what i love about the story is the, the the it's not really a story it's both you can tell a story about it but what i love about the, the process is that the like uh, a future is generally forged by will and work like it's not as if it, it, like even with something like not even with like the there's this odd mythos about about um well, life in general, but like the arts or creativity or entrepreneurship yeah. or any of this stuff that like there is a future that you go out and you, you discover or, and, and there's a pathway and et cetera. I'm like, no, there's not. There's a you have a freaking machete and you have to hack through. That's it. Yeah. Like and yeah. You, you pick and choose. And by not choosing, you choose that whole thing. So this whole notion of like you, the conversation that you have with someone who's a successful artist you and I both know, like, there are cats who've had those conversations and not given a rat's ass and walked out and yeah. d done nothing with it. It's yeah. like literally, oh, well, yeah. it's always like, okay, that, here's the thing, you, here's a set of circumstances, an inspiration or a challenge you've been handed. And then, so what does tomorrow look like now? And it's always a decision we get to make. Literally, it's always like yeah. a choice. So, so you saying, again, there's the obstacle. I don't really know how to be a front man. I can write songs. They're going to be different. So I can do that. That'd be weird. I don't really do the front man thing. So I'm going to study how to be a front yeah. man. And then it's not mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, tomorrow. It's six years. It's it's work. It's oh, and slogging dude, and missing and questioning. And like when that's I go actually back what and a future watch videos. <laughs> yeah. When I go back and watch videos from that first year of shows, I was not good. Mm. I... Um, I I continued to, to play guitar because it was a, a helpful sort of like a barrier between me and the audience. Uh, and I, I hid behind it. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I, locally, I just wasn't very strong. You could, you could, you could see me in like a 45 minute set. You could see me losing steam. Yes. Like, like after song three, you know, um, I, in between songs, I would be awkward and wasn't sure how to communicate with the audience and connect with them. Like yep. you could, you could see all of those classic inexperienced frontman things. Yep. And then, and then you watch, uh, and then I would, I go back and watch like my favorite show. I think we ever did with me as the singer was this festival in the Netherlands called EO. And I watched, I actually, I saved the video of that because I knew it would be a career highlight. It was in the round. It was like 40,000 people in a wow. soccer stadium in the Netherlands. Oh, gosh. It, and they do the production up like, it's like, it's it, you feel like you're Coldplay. It's like, 
there's there's a stage in the middle and then there's a and then there's a pit all the way around the stage and then there's a a, a thrust like a um a catwalk all the way around oh my uh, gosh so it's like a ring who doesn't want to play that game there's four yeah dude it was amazing and um and it was one of those shows it happens so rarely and i'm sure you've experienced this too like most shows are like are fine and like they're they're good enough and like yeah. some things go wrong and it's not perfect but like some it's peak like, it's moments fine. and it's neat yeah it's yeah. fine um and but every once in a while you get a show where literally everything goes exactly perfectly and that was one of those for us and so i watched the the video of this and i'm like damn we were good mm-hmm. and like and like if i watched this band and i watched this front man i'd i'd feel i'd feel like it was compelling mm-hmm. and that blew my mind because years previous, I never would have imagined myself able to do that. Yeah. And so it, it's sort of the lesson for me has been like, and this is what I always try to tell people in this story is like, you have no idea what you're capable of. You don't, I didn't. And it took someone else to like help. Well, not just one person, but it took many people actually to help draw that out of me. Yes. Um, so in a way, I can take credit for it in that it I did work hard at it, but in a in a way, I can't because yeah, I, I would never have been able to 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 get there without all the people along the way that helped to draw that out of me. Yeah, that's um, good. And it's really encouraging for the future uh, for all of us to go like, man, we don't know, we don't know if we put ourselves in the right situation and we're willing to work hard and listen and study and be open. I just don't know what's possible. One of the elements I want to get into is, is um, as a as a there's a different relationship between a, uh, between artists and audience depending on your genre, right? Like the responsibility yes. you have as as a punk band is really different than the relationship and the responsibility you have as a pop band. But you nonetheless have a responsibility to some. I'm using the responsibility somewhat. Um, Someone intentionally here. Like there's a relationship, yeah. but also like there's this leadership component that comes with being a front man, mm. being a lyricist, with being a songwriter. You are, we, we kind of touched on a little, we touched on a little bit earlier. You don't need, there's a way in which I, I tell artists this all the time. Like you don't really get the choice. Like you are taking people places. You can either own that or not, but like folks yeah. will move, change, think, and live differently because of things you do and say. So you can own that That's or not. Point. Yeah. Um, so part of you navigating, you know, genre switches and what have you also has to do with navigating your relationship with the people who are paying attention and the responsibility you have to them. Can you give me like, give me like a minute or two on uh, the oddity of being yeah. an, an artist in a religious space Yeah, and the responsibility mm-hmm. that like. Uh, I'm going to overstate this to some degree and then you can walk it back. No one actually tells you how responsible you are. You just get put yes. on the stage and it's sell records. But then like all the responsibility I, stuff is like underhanded and it's negative and it's just don't blow it. It's it's not like, hey, here's how to do this. Yeah. Here's how to shepherd a group of people from the stage behind a microphone. It's, hey, you're out there, write your lyrics, here's your boundaries. Don't blow it. That that's the leadership training for like front men of religious rock groups. Yeah. 
But you have, you've always had a little bit of a sense of like, I mean, you and I, I don't think that's an overstatement in the slightest. No, I don't either. So, um, Um, but like, you know, in conversations you and I have had, like, you've always had a little bit of a sense of like, I actually know that there's, there's a thing here that like I'm responsible to, and you've been navigating mm-hmm, off on mm-hmm, for a long mm-hmm. time. Start with just that. And then we'll talk about like this season sure. of life and, and how that responsibility shifts and how you sure. fulfill it. What's it like to live in that place? Like, how do you fulfill that role? Is that like, how do you not drink yourself to sleep every night? Give me some of that. <laughs> well, sometimes I do. That's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so my career path is sort of interesting in the sense that it, it had two distinct periods, one where I wasn't front and center. I was the guitar player. So mm-hmm. I was in a supportive role and I mostly got to observe a lot yeah. because whether it's fair or unfair, more expectation is placed on the front man than the rest of the band, oh, yeah. you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, and You're in a religious yeah, so like, and in a that's a that's a very very good comparison because that's that's true that's American football. football. So the way the way we do yeah. it down here. Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in Canada we have the Canadian Football League, and the, there's a few rule differences, but the biggest difference is that no one watches. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> it's actually true. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. So so for me, like the first eight years of our career, like I was observing, and and one of the things I observed was. That if you are in a band, and specifically the front men of a band in uh, in Christian music or like a religious setting of some kind, um, without knowing it, you've signed up to be kind of a pastor. Yes. Um, and and you can accept that role or not, but but there are going to be a lot of situations in which that is what's expected of you. Yeah. Um, so by the time I became the singer of Hawk Nelson. I had already recognized that, and I knew that becoming the, in becoming the singer, that was part of the deal. Like yeah. I, I knew it uh, going into it. So that's one thing I didn't need an education on. Hmm. I was like, oh, I get it. That's how it is. Um, and so when I stepped into that role, I, I was aware, like, okay, I'm becoming uh, the singer. I'm becoming the front man. I'm becoming this main songwriter, and I'm and I also am responsible for sort of leading people. And, and I took it really seriously. I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, when you get into those situations, most, most artists, especially if you start young, if you start in Christian music, you you don't know that there's a, there's an expectation that, Mm -hmm. that you're going to basically be a preacher. I mean, there's, there's not a, a lot of knowledge and there's not always a lot of coaching on that either. It's like, go out there, you know, say something meaningful. Um, and, uh, and I, I took that really seriously, and and actually I started reading a lot more about theology uh, in that season of becoming the singer hmm. um, than I had ever read before, and dove into various thinkers. There's some Christian thinkers that I really uh, respect; I, I still do. Um, that I started just getting into their thought a lot more, and actually yeah. for me, that ended up being uh, uh, the beginning of actually a journey out of faith hmm. um was that because of the was that like a pre- really was ironic like, um, well to some degree but like is it like i don't like the role i don't like the machinery or was it like i don't like what i'm discovering in the underbelly of this like i'm having to communicate things that i don't actually buy in order to do the job well there's there's it's a combination of all of those things okay. i think um 
definitely there were there were things that I had gut feelings about that the Christian culture I was embedded in w- was not okay with. Right, right. Um, so for for an example, um, like when I uh, when I watched the Supreme Court legalize same sex marriage, in my heart I was like, that feels like progress. Yeah, that feels like something that's that that's worth celebrating. Right. And, um, but you can't do that I, on I, mic and lead people in the direction. Oh, no, no, no. And like, and I remember thinking, wow, I, I can't say that publicly mm. because of my career. And then I watched Dan Hazeltine of Dars of Clay tweet his support about it right as he was getting on a plane from Australia to, to America. Which was amazing. <laughs> It was the worst timing, bro. And he had no idea that while he was over the ocean, his career was ending. Yes. And by the time he landed in LA and checked his phone, he basically, I mean, it's a little bit of an exaggeration to say that that ended their career, but. Well, it did. I mean, they had to become a complete. It's not a total exaggeration. No, it's not. I mean, they had to become a completely different thing. And they had to, they had, again, talk about reinvention. Like you're not going to book 200 church shows. Nope. Nope. You're going to nope, do, and you'll do nope. what they've done, which is like, you, yeah. you gotta make your own pathway. You're going to, you do online shows. You're going to do, you know, travel. You're going to like your friendships get, you know, tighter and smaller. They're not yeah. the band they were before that. Right. Exactly. So, so I, I definitely like, I see all of those things and, and I do think that, you know, there's some people that get into Christian music specifically because they want to, to have a ministry. Yeah. So those, so those people are actually like not only recognizing the pastoral element, but they're actually emphasizing it, going like that's actually why I'm here. Yeah. Um, and and but for bands like Hawk Nelson, that was not how we got into it. Yeah. Um, and so it it became something we sort of adopted over time. Yeah. And and, and in a very odd way, even though I I, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can get into that whole, uh, you know, bag of cats, uh, too, but, um, uh, bag of cats. Is that, I, I'm fine say? with it. I'm, I'm, I'm not a cat um, person. So that's fine. It doesn't bother me. Okay. Uh, uh, PETA is going to come after us here. Um, but I, I actually still sort of value the sort of pastoral element because yes. one of the, one of the things I really loved about, uh, the career that we had in music is the number of times I got to participate in a meaningful moment in people's lives. Like, okay, I bet you've had this experience too. So you're playing a show, you go and you play a song that is, you know, of all the songs you have, this one is maybe the most likely for people to have heard. So yeah. you, you're, you're playing the one that's like, if people have heard of any of my songs, it's probably this, this is one. the one. Yeah. So yeah. So you you play that song and then you look out while you're singing it and you see uh, two people standing next to each other or, or sitting next to each other and that you see them look at each other mm. and you see this knowing this sort of like this look where they're not exchanging any words, but they're looking at each other and they go, they're, they're saying with their faces, ah, this is the one that meant so much to us. Or like they, yeah. they're, ha- they're sharing this moment yeah. of like, like they know that there's been like I can tell there's been some significance in their life yeah. that they all they have to do is look at each other. Yep. And and I have no idea what that story is. I don't know what's going on there, but, but you know I know you're a part it's of meaningful. It. Yeah. And somehow I got to be a part of that. Yeah. And like if that is something that's positive in their life, like what a beautiful yeah. thing. And I'm I'm straight 
I'm straight up addicted to that. Yes. Like I am addicted to that. Yes. The shift to some degree now, I, I mean, I will, that's a question I think I might as well ask. Would you consider yourself sure. even now um, kind of a religious leader? Like, are you like, are you a religious figure? Depends what you mean by religious. And that's, I'm asking you, you. like, I'm asking you, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. but like you, the, the world, the world of conversations you're having, I would do want to land here, like and spend the last segment talking about this is what sure, you're doing sure. with your time. Yeah. You're the, the conversations you, you, you're not, um, yes, I want to say this. You are not falling into conversations where people are like pulling you into things. You are forging conversations you're putting things you're literally sending things out and saying we're going to engage in this yeah so there's mm-hmm. there's like a, there, you're hyper intentional about the thing there's no victimization here you never you're never like oh my gosh this is so difficult for me no one talked to me you didn't do that thing no you're no, like no, hey no. this is where yeah. i'm at this is what's going on and we're going to process this out loud together we're going to do this yeah most of the conversation has to do with um not even like uh doctrine although there's doctrine uh, not just theology, oh, there's, there's theology, but also politics and the way we live together and philosophy mm-hmm. and the why we do things and psychology, like how are, how do our wounds, like, like there is this kind of big religious, like cultural space that you are yeah. like taking responsibility for online. So I guess the two questions, like uh, if you're not a religious leader, maybe you are. Um, what are you now? Like, what is this title? Like, what is the thing? You, how do you describe yourself? Cause you're That's like, a good question. I know. Um, because it's like religious leader, pastor, is there a way in which you can pastor without like being like, um, yeah, without so aligning yourself with a particular theology. Hmm. I mean, is there a way in which you're still really pastoring people? I mean, what, what, yeah, what that, the hell are you doing, John? This is what I'm at. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> And what do you call it? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have struggled for the last, so, so for, for your audience, uh, just the sort of super short version is basically like earlier this year, I went on Instagram and I wrote a post saying that I, I no longer believe in God. Mm-hmm. And that was the culmination of a, of a, of a process that had been several years of, of, of just wrestling with my beliefs and, yeah. and, and trying to make sense of it all and studying and reading and learning and, and l- listening to different opinions and voices on the subject. Mm-hmm. And then coming back to what we said really like near the beginning of this conversation is this desire for transparency was huge for me. Yeah. And I was just like, I talked about faith openly for my entire adult life. And now I'm finding that I, I'm not sure that God is real and and I'm I would call myself agnostic on it. I'm like he could be. He, I I I just don't have an active belief. Like yes, I believe that God is there. Yeah. And and I reached that point, and I felt like I had to be honest about it. And so I wrote this post, um, in May, uh, and I basically laid out how you know in a short version of like how I got there and what I was thinking and and what were the reasons that I found myself not able to believe, and I. On one hand, I sort of thought like, oh, this is going to be great. I can just be honest and then I can wash my hands of this and I, and I don't – I can just go on with my life. But I discovered that, that I, I wasn't done with, a, with my curiosity about spirituality. Hmm. 
I wasn't done with wondering what might be true about God and our beliefs and um, my own heritage, both as a yeah. as a Westerner who like the Western Western culture is just so in, heavily influenced by Judeo Christian you know thought and values and, yep. and 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 my own upbringing is so Christian like it's not really possible for me to extricate myself out of that and so. Uh, I find myself continually curious about this gray area in between belief and unbelief. Mm. And um, and so I've been sort of exploring that space for the last six months. And one of the most amazing things I've discovered is I'm far from the only one. Yeah. Um, there's so many people out there that – and I specifically empathize with people that grew up in church because that's my background. Yeah. Um, that are struggling with, with – Christian beliefs and going like, I just don't know if I can believe this. Yeah. And, and, and I don't have a dog in the fight as far as like, whether you end up believing it or not. Yeah. What I want is, is for people to be able to walk out those questions in a healthy way and have yeah. a space to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and traditionally my experience with Christian culture is that that space is hard to find. And if I can be a part of helping create a little pocket of acceptability, you know, an area where it's acceptable to ask questions that could get you in trouble, you know, Mm -hmm. elsewhere, um, then I want to do that. And, and I, and I'm finding that my, my sort of core value in that whole journey is I just, I really love and care about people Mm. and I want to see people living, um, in, in the healthiest way possible and with the least amount of um, s- sort of dogma and fear and, um, you know, uh, the feeling of restriction, like they're stuck. I, like, I don't know, like I, I, I see this connection. I've wrestled with depression over the years and, and I've noticed a correlation between feeling stuck and feeling depressed. Yes. It's like there's something about depression that you feel stuck. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can, if I can say something or have a conversation with someone that can help somebody get unstuck, then that, that's a more hopeful thing, uh, right there. Like you're already in a more hopeful space, regardless of whether that takes you into a place of more faith or, or less, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I, and I like what you're up to. And we talked uh, way, like way the very beginning about your. Yeah, like, yeah. You you called me and you were really encouraging. Yeah, and and I and mostly because like, um, yeah, you know, like I knew you were gonna get throat punched by folks who were gonna try to throat punch you, and and like <laughs> and and but I also knew like there was this. You were not doing the thing that. Um, it wasn't just a matter of self-expression, even your posture in presenting your place. Like it wasn't a matter of like, here's where I'm at, deal with it. It was a matter of like, I need to be responsible to this. It's what you said a minute ago. Like I've been public about faith in this way for the whole of my life and benefited from it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like what a shitty thing to be like, yeah, I'm out and I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Like, no, be responsible to that. Yeah. Like you, it's one of yeah. my favorite pieces of, of advice about religious communication. Gene uh, Luen Yang was like really the very first guest ever on the podcast. Talked about a conversation he had with a, with a professor in college who was a Buddhist. 
and um, he was wrestling with writing about his faith. He's like, I don't know, you know, you know he's a graphic novelist. He's talking about writing about his faith. Oh, writing wow. about, and, mm-hmm. uh, and he goes to her and he's having this conversation about writing about his faith. And she says to him, Gene, I don't want you to write about your faith. And at, the, at first he's like, here we go. Like here, the thing, she goes, no, you should write about your life. And if your faith is real, then it'll just show up. And like, that's the thing that you did, the, and you know, I'll just use some religious terminology here. The witness that you sure, bear yeah. in doing it the way you do is like, this is, this is actually my life. And here's what faith um, looks like. Here's what religion looks like. Here's what thought looks like. The you're being faithful. I think that's just better leadership than mm. trying to be beholden to a particular ideology for the sake of the strengthening of the ideology because right. if I'm bolstering the ideology, I'm always going to cost someone's health every single time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if it's about people, then it's a person, me, I'm bearing witness to what's happening in me. And I think that's always better le- leadership. I think that's always better help for folks is like, what's it look like in a human life? And I like, I like the way you're going about it. And so oh, thanks for thanks, pointing man. out for me, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I, I still have moments like I have seasons where I uh, I'll go for a couple of weeks and not post very much online because mm-hmm. I'll feel like I'm working through a particular issue, um, like whether it's theology or like just my perspective on a certain topic. I'm like, ooh, if I'm unsure about this, I kind of want to be quiet for a minute. <laughs> yes, um, and, which is and smart. So, so yeah, so so I, I find myself in those in those periods occasionally. I'm kind of in one right now. Yeah. Um, I, I, I sort of, you and I talked when, you know, when this first all went down, um, and we like the topic of a book came up mm-hmm. and, and I was like, for a long time, I was like, I think I, I love writing. And so I, I've, I've, I've had the desire to write a book, but I was like, I'm in the middle of the thing that I would be writing about. Yes. And so I don't, I don't know that it's the right time to write it. Nope. Um, you live it first and then, yeah. And then about, about three weeks ago, it's sort of just, I woke up one day and I was like, it's time. Yeah. And, uh, and so I started and, and I'm about halfway done. Good, <laughs> it's man. just been one of those things where it's like, and it's an obsessive thing. Like I'm getting up at four in the morning and writing for three hours and then, and then going about my day. Um, and, and so uh, I have it in my mind that like, I might just write it from myself. I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. I'm just noticing that my thoughts are becoming more coherent as I do it. That's and so, and so I'm like, okay, I'm making sense of this for myself. And when I finish, I'll know whether it, it's something that was just for me or whether it's something worth sharing. I'll know when I'm done. Yes. You know, and it, I, it could go either way. Um, and, and, and you've, you've given me good guidance on that, on well, that kind I'll, of thing. I'll do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, thank you so much for your time. This was great. Appreciate it. Seriously. Yeah, dude. It's awesome. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Outsea Podcast. If you would like to follow up with John Steingard, his last name is spelled S-T-E-I-N-G-A-R-D, Steingard. First name John without the H. His show is available at Apple Podcasts and Spotify and is also available at YouTube slash John Steingard. If you would like to be part of what we're doing here with the Atsi podcast, 
You can visit us at patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts and join us by selecting one of the support tiers. We would love to have you on the team. Until next time.